And the seam says that the universe, the vacuum, is checking in with you every moment. That's just me closing the furnace. Every moment, the universe is checking in with you. The vacuum is checking in with you. Popping in, you are popping in and out of existence, and the universe is checking in with you. And every moment that the universe is checking in with you, it's checking, like taking your temperature, except it's checking what your dominant emotion at the time is. Your dominant emotion is the thing that you feel the most deeply. The things we feel most deeply are tied to what we believe the most deeply. What we believe deeply is tied to our psycho-cybernetic settings. Our settings determine our beliefs. <clears throat> our beliefs determine our emotions. Please drink something. And that dominant belief or that dominant emotion is then what's fed back to the vacuum. Now the vacuum is not going to judge your dominant emotion. It's only going to mirror it. So if your dominant emotion is things don't work out for me, and if your setting is things don't work out for me, and therefore your dominant emotion is sadness, and someone who's always trying to get over obstacles but cannot, the vacuum checks in, checks in, checks in, checks in, reads you, reads you, reads you, and says, okay, the consistent and steady, the consistent and steady dominant emotion of this person is sadness and failure. Cool, perfect. And that's what it will give you more of because it is only going to give you what you ask, right? So that's the tricky part about the fountain. It will give you what you ask, but what are you asking? Because it doesn't matter what you ask for with your words. It doesn't matter what you say you want. People all the time say things, say that they want things they don't want at all, could never handle, know they couldn't handle it, and yet they are insistent that that's what they want. So it's kind of genius that the universe pays no attention to what you say you want. But your settings are going to determine how you feel 99% of the time. And the vacuum is going to read how you feel 99% of the time. When those two things line up, right? When your settings and the vacuum reading you lines up, whatever you feed it, 99% of the time, it gives you back in many different forms because it's what you're asking for. It's obviously what you want most. So that's why 
the psychocybernetics work is so difficult because to change your settings is to change how the vacuum interacts with you. Therefore, it changes reality. That's what makes it so difficult and so important because you can change your actual experience. The external world will change completely based on your settings. That's what Maxwell Malt gives you anecdotes of over and over and over again, right? Right? Someone got this kind of surgery or someone thought they got this kind of hex removed and all of a sudden their life changed and the way they look changed and the circumstances changed. Why? Bob Proctor talks about this a lot with salespeople. Why are they able to completely change their reality when something deeply personal, something emotional, something that changes their life, therefore, i.e. changes their settings, happens to them? Why is it that people have near-death experiences and then their entire lives are changed? Because the near-death experience goes in there and it rewires those settings. Something happens that's strong enough that makes them examine their settings and go, no, this is just not right. So now we know that our dominant emotion is a conversation with the universe. It's a conversation with this vacuum that's mathematically proven, right? And that vacuum is interacting. It's speaking to you on that emotional level second by second by second, checking in with you to make sure that it's giving you exactly what you feel like. So what do we do if what we want at, from the fountain experience is a loving relationship? Because you can be at the fountain and be miserable and all the stuff that's for you is just going to walk right by you, right? Because you are not in tune with it, right? So, what does your dominant emotion need to be to receive that which is written for you, that which is waiting at the fountain for you? Well, you have to now rework your settings to get to a place where you actually believe that you deserve all good things. You are deserving of your fate. You are deserving of your happiness. You are deserving of the love that you planned out for yourself before you got here. You are worthy of all the things that are written for you. Once you can work that into your settings, the emotion that will create is happiness, security, gratitude, peace. You're happy because you know all these great things are coming to you. You feel secure because you're taken care of. You're good. You're grateful because all these great things are coming to you and it's, it's awesome. And you're at peace because you're no longer running. So this cocktail of emotions, if you feed that to the vacuum, 
even for a few seconds every day, your external reality will start to change. It has no choice but to change because it wants to give you all the time how you feel. So you do it for 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, a minute, two minutes. That's why the psychocybernetic film thing works so well when you make a mental movie. That's why it works because for those few minutes, you change the way you feel and look at what a dramatic effect it has just for a few minutes of work, of changing your state, look at what a dramatic effect it has on your life. Now imagine if you could change your settings and stay in that emotion all the time, which of course is, is the goal of the book. Well, if you were able to maintain genuinely a feeling of security, peace, gratitude, enthusiasm, you know that anticipation, enthusiasm that you have when you know something great is in the mail because you've already ordered it or when you've called the dealer and he's already on his way? I think I've mentioned before that it's proven that the most high that a cocaine user gets when their brains are scanned isn't when they're doing the drugs at all. It's when they've ordered the drugs and they haven't arrived yet. That's the point at which their brains light up like Christmas trees. It's the anticipation of the thing, the enthusiastic anticipation of the thing. That's why people are always telling you, act like you have it. But you see, we've talked about why that's dangerous. Act like you have it, pick a specific thing and just keep acting like you have it, acting like it, no. The concept of the fountain is that what is written for you is coming to you. You don't direct it. You don't have to. You're not presumptuous enough to. You're just excited and happy that it's coming to you because you're worthy of receiving it just by being who you are, nothing else. You don't have to do anything to receive it. You don't have to be anybody. You don't have to try. You don't have to toil. You don't have to coerce people into it. You don't have to, you know, lie and cheat and bully and, and, and all these different things to get what you want. Because it's not about what you want. It's about what's for you. There's such a difference there. What's for you are the things and people that you need so you can have the experiences and learn the lessons and, 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 and evolve. What you want is so subjective. It changes all the time, depending on what you see or who you talk to or what they got and what it, come on, what you want and our, our just obsession, this preoccupation that we have with what we want is what gets us into so much trouble because it's not real and it's not productive and it's not for anything. It's like when people go on and on and on about how much they love food and food is everything and food is this. Okay, got you. There's nothing else. There's nothing else you like. It's just wanting, wanting, wanting. And it has a direct tie to that chakra that controls your insulin. Right? It's self-esteem. 
And when that chakra breaks from doing too much of that thing that's just feeding the ego, feeding the ego, right? That's, that's what that is. Then you have all the different things that happen when that chakra stops spinning. So, how to be in an emotional state that attracts your fate? How, what emotion, what is the dominant emotion that you need to have to make it to the fountain? Enthusiastic anticipation of everything good that you know is coming to you. Trust, trust that what you have decided for yourself, what you and your people decided was the best for you in this life is coming to you. Trust. Letting go of your wants. Letting go of the things that you preoccupy yourself with and and convince yourself that you can't do without. That is a way to constantly send a message to the vacuum that you want to be unfulfilled. You see, a want is just another way of saying, I am unfulfilled. And the vacuum reads that and goes, oh, I guess this person wants more experiences that make them feel unfulfilled. The thing about anticipation, the thing about enthusiasm, see that Coke, the person who's ordered that Coke knows that it's on the way. You see, there's an element of faith involved there. They know that dealer wants to make money. They know that dealer is on the way. There is a faith there. There is an excited anticipation of something that's going to happen and it's going to be great. So when you remove your wants from the, from the equation and instead you are enthusiastic and happy and anticipating these great things that you're sure are coming to you, the vacuum reads that and goes, whoa, great things. Enthusiasm for great things. Here's some great things. Here's some more great things. Here's some more great things. And it just keeps going. The trust part is for you. The peace part is for you to help you stay in that enthusiastic anticipation. That, that's it. The universe doesn't need that from you. That's for you. That's what people always get wrong about praying. Praying isn't for God. It's for you. It's to keep you level enough, to keep you in the vibe enough to ask for what you need. Not what you want, what you need. And when you start to look at life in terms of what you need, everything changes. Drink something. That fire made everything smoky. I'm just going to open the window. Actually, I'm going to open this door. So, what do you need? What does anybody need? We know somewhat. We know we need love. We know we need contact. We know we need shelter, food. 
More than anything else, I think the one we forget is that we need purpose. And whenever people ask me about purpose, I have the same answer. Whenever someone asks me if I know what their purpose is, I always answer in the same way. Your purpose is to help other people. We all have the same purpose. Whether you do that through your art, whether you do it through your work, your, your toil, your labor, whether you do it through the way you communicate with other people, it doesn't matter. Your purpose, your underlying purpose of being alive is to help each other, to be kind to each other, to impart knowledge to each other, to lend a hand, to lend money, to give affection, to, to help. That's it. That's your purpose. That will always be the only purpose. Anything else that you put on top of that is ego. Anything. Anything you decide is more your purpose than that is you being full of shit. Sorry. But it is. So, if you are able to look at your life as needing to fulfill your purpose, which is to help other people, the vacuum will read that and it will give you, interestingly, it will give you the things you wanted or better versions that you couldn't have even dreamt to ask for of what you wanted. Why? Because it knows that if you have found this purpose and you are doing this work, you will do it better if your ego, to a certain extent, is mollified. So there is a way to get what you want, but it's not the way we're taught to go about it. It's not by going and getting it. It's by being so good to other people. It's by not having wants and instead fulfilling your needs that the universe then goes, you know what? This person also wanted this car or this person also wanted that guy or this person also wanted X amount of money and you will get it. One, because you didn't want it and so you didn't put out into the universe that you didn't have it, right? You didn't register that car, that money, that mate as an unfulfilled need. You didn't mention it at all. Instead, two, what you did is get together a whole bunch of spiritual currency by going out there and making your life just a means to help other people. And every time you help someone, you accrue more of this currency. So three, this currency that's now just sitting there that you don't need, hello, you don't need it because you know what you're doing. You're good with what you're doing. It's just accruing and accruing and, 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 and gaining interest. That then gets put towards what you want. Because somewhere in there, you wanted that stuff, but it's a passing thing. Like, oh, that's a really nice car. I'm doing something. 
or yeah, nice horse, or yeah, nice guy. And the universe registers that and it holds that. Not because you said you wanted it, not because you displayed some sort of need that wasn't fulfilled. You expressed an appreciation for that thing, right? So you want to get what you want? Help other people. Focus on your needs. Don't complain. Stay in a state of enthusiastic anticipation. And when you come across something you want, appreciate it from a distance and then lower your gaze and let it go. Don't fixate. Don't even ask. Don't even ask. I mean, you can. But the way to ask then is to get into an emotional state of happiness, of the most happy you, you can muster. And the universe does the rest. Oh, th oh, that kind of happiness? Well, I know exactly what would bring her or him or they that kind of happiness. Here you go. So that's the fountain that's fountain part three or fountain power four or whatever we're at. Now, let's go to the two Americas. So let's change gears completely. The two Americas. And we're back. Okay. So the two Americas. Now I'm talking about the murder that's been on everyone's mind these past couple of days. Drink something, please. As you undoubtedly have either seen or heard by now, a young black man was jogging in his own neighborhood and three Nazis, three evil men, three evil white men, three evil white men who are former police officers, at least two of them, decided to use the sight of a man jogging alone as an excuse to murder him. The interesting thing, because murder is not interesting, and white supremacy is not interesting, and racism is not interesting, it's boring. The interesting part is the new narrative that a white person in a white dominated global society can create a problematic and threatening environment. And when a person of color responds to it, they are the perpetrator. They are the ones that deserve to be shot, imprisoned, held accountable, fined, 
and whatever else you can think of. So these men approached a man, again, in his own neighborhood with guns. The man then responded by defending himself, which was then used as cause for the men who killed him to not be arrested. Today, it has come out that the district attorney, the district attorney is the one that kept them from being arrested when this happened, which was months ago. She turns out to be a personal friend of the guy that did most of the most of the killing. There are so many parallels. There are so many parallels I can think of in everyday life where white people create situations that are incredibly dangerous and when people of color respond, they become the criminal. There are so many that I don't even want to go into them. Because in every one of those situations, the white person actually creating the hostile environment is the one who's going to beat everyone to the punch and yell victim. It's such an interesting sleight of hand. You approach a man with guns, he responds by defending himself, which frightened you, which justifies you killing him. Let's do it another way. There are many instances all over the internet of white privilege. The one that I like best is something my kid listens to on YouTube. And at first I was like, what are you listening to? But then once I, once he explained it to me, I actually was like, oh wow, you're super woke. So there is a series on YouTube called Entitled Parents. And it's basically different people telling stories, people who work in all kinds of different professions, of entitled parents and the things that parents do when something happens, anything happens. Now, the series really should be called White Entitlement, but instead it's just called Entitled Parents. Which is, inter which is funny, which is fun, right? It's, it's the right thing to do. Good job. So, the thing that comes up again and again in Entitled Parents is the scenario where a white woman decides that something that somebody else has should be hers or her child's. And when the person whose thing it really is responds 
with a no, the woman loses her mind and behaves as if that person has done something to her, which then mobilizes everyone to treat that person as a criminal. This happens in micro and macro. Every day, all over the place, in your work environment, in your church, in your, anywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And even now, even now when the whole world is sitting home, this is still happening. What do I mean? I mean that while everybody else is sitting home, there are people who feel deeply entitled that they are that the rules don't apply to them. If you try to tell them this, you become the culprit. White privilege is setting the rules and giving yourself permission to be the only ones that can break those rules. Murder is wrong, except if a white person feels threatened. Then it's justified. Doesn't have to be a cop even. Doesn't have to be a cop, it could be anybody. Right, let's not forget the white female police officer who shot a man that she was having some kind of relationship with. She killed him. And when she went to prison, it was like the entire world stopped for a minute. Not that it all matters that one in three black people is in prison. It doesn't matter. But one white woman going to prison and the entire news day for a whole day, the news, it just stopped. Everything stopped. Everyone was in shock. People were hugging her. Oh my God, she's going to have to go to jail. Just, just look at the society. You can tell what we value by how we react. Look at the things we react to. Nobody is blinking an eye about the fact that one in three, one in three, nobody, nobody, like, it's just, yeah, that's what it is. And Kim Kardashian gets one of them out every, you know, few months, yay. That's okay. But one woman who committed cold-blooded murder and lied about it, Her going to jail was national news. So now we have this thing called Instagram. Now the narrative doesn't belong to the pyramid of white supremacy. And make no mistake, regardless of where you are on that pyramid, you're a part of it. Oh yeah, people of color listening to this, white people listening to this, you're all a part of it. 
You're all a part of upholding that pyramid. You have to understand that. It's not just white people out here doing this. Brown people are more racist than most of the white people I know. I'm just going to be totally real. That was another thing about the Pluto toxic, about the coat. That was another thing. Towards the very end, when everything was over, he actually said to me, why are you speaking to me like a Kali? Which is a Punjabi way of saying a black girl. And I was like, whoa, pause. Oh, I didn't mean it like that. I just meant like a black person. Pause, 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 pause on all of this, yo. What are you, are you fucking nuts? And every time I come across this with South Asians, they do it in this way that makes you just look at your whole life and go, what about me made you think even for a second that you could say that shit about, oh, come on, number, no, come on, number, nothing. I'm a Muslim. I don't know what the fuck y'all believe in, but I'm a Muslim. I can't, I, I can't do that. It's specifically written. We're exactly the same. And every time they go, yeah, but you know what I mean. No, I don't. No, I actually fucking don't know what you mean. Because the last I checked, we have melanin. How y'all people with melanin go over to the white side is fucking crazy to me. Remember, every superiority complex is just an inferiority complex. That's all it is. Anyone who behaves like they are superior is just projecting the fact that they feel deeply inferior. Because if the supposition is, if they're superior to you, then someone must be superior to them. That's how that works. If people are better than other people, then the people that think they're best, there's someone better than them too. But brown people, people of color who are not black and are not white, tend to pick the white side because the thinking is they're the best, but at least we're not the worst. Which is so fucking insane to me because the only thing that keeps coming up in my mind is where's your fucking dignity? Where's your fucking dignity? How can you be content with being a fucking dog in an outdoor doghouse? That's your life? When you as a brown person are racist like that, what you're basically saying is that the white man is master and you're their pet. That's all you're doing. It doesn't all of a sudden make you a white man to call someone a Kali at all, <laughs> dog. But that's what I mean. That pyramid of white supremacy, drink something. Most of the people holding it up are at the very bottom. And at the very bottom are those microaggressions And all of us, white or not, all of us play into it. And to be perfectly honest, most of all, the people who are not white play into it. You see, and that makes sense because after a certain amount of time of having extreme privilege, you do lose sight 
of the things that keep us in the muck. You reach this vibration where you live in a completely different reality where you legitimately see everyone as the same. I mean it when I say that I've met way more people of color that are racist than I've met white people. But what we all do, regardless of if we are actively trying to or not, is uphold a system. Now, you're not out there shooting people. And you're not out there as a person of color wanting people to get shot. But you're holding up a structure with your microaggressions and your micro acceptances. You're holding up a structure that leads to a top where someone who used to be a cop can kill someone, murder someone in cold blood and get away with it. Not once, not twice, over and over and over again. How many times has that happened and we just don't have the video? Would you like to count? Did you, what did you see when you watched it? What did it remind you of? You know what I'm saying? We all make that possible. All of us. Unless you are actively every day fighting against that. Again, what's your purpose? Helping people. Unless you're actively working against that all the time, you are a part of it. You make it possible. So what does that mean? Well, we know as people of color what that means. So what does it mean as a white person? What does that mean? What are you supposed to be doing? Noam Chomsky puts it the best way. It's really funny to me whenever people think I'm anti-Semitic, considering my three favorite like humans outside of you know religious stuff are Howard Zinn, Noam Chomsky, and Leonard Cohen. Three old Jewish men. So, well, two of whom have passed. Noam Chomsky puts it the best way. The fight for civil liberties, the fight for human rights, the fight for equality needs to and should morally be fought by white people because they are the ones that enjoy the security they can take the risk. When the rest of us have to do it, we do it at great risk to our jobs, our livelihood, our families, our freedom, and our lives. But white people don't have that issue. White people won't lose their job and the cops won't kill them. They probably won't even get arrested and people will listen to them. So it is those people that have all the privilege and all the power who are supposed to be fighting for our rights as people of color. That's what's supposed to happen. Now, how often have you seen that, if ever? You see, 
In that book by Tom O'Neill, Chaos, they talk about why the CIA got Manson to do what he did and why that house in particular was targeted. That house was known, the Cielo Drive house where Sharon Tate was murdered, where she lived with Roman Polanski. That house was known as being a hub where white people of influence, famous white people, would meet to get money together for the Black Panthers. They were called the White Panthers. And the idea of influential white people taking up the fight terrified the U.S. government. And so the reason there was pig scrawled on the wall was because Manson had ordered them to make it look like the Black Panthers had done it. What they wanted was for the white people helping the Black Panthers to think that once they got their rights, they would line those white people up like all the others and kill them all. Now, of course, that's never what the Black Panthers were about. <laughs> they were a reaction to the fact that they were getting slaughtered and kidnapped and all kinds of other shit, right? So you see from that example how terrifying the idea of white people fighting for the rights of people of color is to the establishment. Well, of course it is, because it's the only way it works. It's the only way it'll actually change. It's the only way that any progress will get made. That's why, even though I made a joke about it, I fuck with Kim Kardashian. Go ahead, girl, do it. Do it. You see, I don't say nothing about her, right? Because, good for you. It took you to have a black husband and a black child to, to, to do this and to become aware, but okay, whatever it is, it is what it is, good. Good, you're doing, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And again, like Carolina says, Nobody gets a prize for what they're supposed to be doing. Nobody gets a pat on the back for what they're supposed to do. This is your job. Your purpose is not to teach yoga. Your purpose is not to collect fucking crystals. Your purpose is not to find some bizarre form of samadhi that you're looking for. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to help people. That feeling you're searching for, it's not in those crystals charging in your window. That feeling that you need so deeply to make you feel whole is not in that yoga class. And it's definitely not in those fucking skanky ass leggings you need to throw away. It's not there. And it's not at the bottom of your fucking kale salad either. It's in helping people who actually need help, which categorically is not you. So, what needs to happen? People of color need to actively remove themselves from that pyramid. And if you're wondering what pyramid I'm talking about, I'll make the cover of the podcast that pyramid, but you can also look at it on my Instagram at Embercon. And you'll be surprised at all the stuff that's on there. 
People of color need to actively extricate themselves from it. And white people need to look at that pyramid and one, realize how many of the things on there you do. Stop doing those. And two, start learning about what's happening to people of color. And once you have a grasp of what's happening, demand that it change. Demand it in your social interactions. Demand it in your relationships. Demand it from your legislature. Demand it everywhere you go. It becomes a part of who you are to not be an entitled douchebag. Once we can do that, things like this won't be able to happen if the DA wasn't a fucking Nazi sympathizer and instead was a white person who wanted to use her entitlement and her unfair advantage in the world to the advantage of people of color by sticking up for them, she would have said, oh my God, you murdered an innocent man while he was jogging because you're a hateful freak and you're going to go to jail for the rest of your fucking life. And that would have been the beginning and the end of that. And how many times would that have to happen before the truly evil people in the world would realize that this shit is not going to go down like this anymore? It wouldn't take very long. It would be so frighteningly quick, actually, that if you really stop to think about it, it'll make your fucking head go up in flames, how quickly we could change this. If only people knew what their fucking purpose was. So, they killed one more. And yesterday was his birthday. And if we hadn't all said anything, they would have been free on his birthday. Ironically, they were, I think, arrested either on his birthday or the day after. I wonder how many more times we can witness it. I wonder how many more times we can digest the terror that we live with before we just throw it all up. And I wonder what kind of mentality it takes as a white person to either not see this or not care. I wonder what you have to be made of 
to know that every person of color you know lives with the terror of being snuffed out whenever, wherever, just because. Just because some other white person was afraid. I wonder if it occurs to you ever how afraid the people of color you know really are to be out in the streets, in the world, interacting with you. I wonder if you ever realize that it's like dealing with a fucking bomb that could go off at any minute and kill you. The bomb is fine. The bomb just regenerates and is waiting to go off again. It's you who is delicately trying to cut the right wire that lose your life. And why? Because you took your wallet out, because you went for a jog, because you were out at a club celebrating that you were getting married, because, because nothing, because, because your taillight was out, because nothing, because you didn't use your indicator, because nothing. I wonder if as white people, there can emerge some understanding of how truly frightening it is to never know what you're doing wrong, but very, very realistically could lose your life for it. Because I don't think it's about color ultimately, it's about power. I mean, I know my, more white girls that wanna fuck black guys than they are afraid of them. They don't hate their color, they love it. It's power. Power makes you want to do things to show and exert your power. That's what I mean, we're all part of it. How many people of color have had quote unquote innocent interactions with white people where there is a power dynamic in play, where they are subtly telling you with their words and their actions that you are powerless to stop them and they are powerful in a way that you will never be and therefore they can do things that you cannot tell them are wrong. Even though both people know they're wrong. So. There's that. And now, a bit of housekeeping. One moment. Okay, so now just for a little bit of housekeeping, please drink something. My dear, dear Rev fam, the way that I 
would like to continue our relationship is the way it was founded, which is there are no leaders here. We are all the same. We are compatriots. So I don't believe in anyone having some sort of control over any part of the Revfam or any part of the revolution. The revolution is simply, I give you the information I have, you share information with me, we share information with each other, and we try to make our lives better. Anything outside of that is not a part of the revolution. And there, I will exert some sort of control because I started it. So, having said that, I know that there are a few group chats out there that are in some way related to the revolution. First of all, I would like to disavow myself from all of it. It has nothing to do with me. Secondly, it has nothing to do with the revolution. It is, as are most things, a play for power. Whenever you have a group of people, and this is what I think is so revolutionary about us as RevFam, whenever you have a group of people that are like-minded, there are always a few that seek to become the leader, the top, the one that dictates what happens. And that is always the beginning of the end. The revolution is something personal. It's something that happens inside you. You learn to love yourself. You learn to find that fountain energy and to stay in it. The revolution is that your reality changes because your heart changes. It's nothing more and nothing less. So it is a community, but is it, a communi it is a community that has no communal laws. It has no communal standards. The only thing, the only commonality we all have is that we are seeking that fountain energy. Now you see why it was important for me to explain that before I could do this. Now here's the other part of why I disavow any connection to this sort of thing. I have noticed my whole life, drink something please. I have noticed my whole life that whenever people get together in large enough groups, there is this sickness that starts to pass between them. It usually starts with one or two people who like to complain. Complaining to me is so deeply disturbing that I cannot help 
but distance myself. I have never been able to tolerate the company of somebody who complains. It makes me want to die just to get away from the sound of that person's voice. Why? Because their vibe is so disgusting. Because it is the very opposite of waiting in enthusiastic anticipation for your fate. It's contagious, it's dangerous, and it will attract to you such horrors that I don't want to be anywhere near you when they hit you. Now, in these chats, what inevitably ends up happening is that one or two people who are seeking attention start to complain. They start to complain about everything. Again, complete opposite of what the revolution is. And then, through no fault of your own, other people start to do it too. Oh yeah, well I also kind of feel this way and I also kind of feel it. And all they've done is now change your conversation with the vacuum. Now your conversation with the vacuum is you are complaining to it and it will give you more and more and more to complain about. Have you ever noticed that people that complain always have things to complain about? Have you ever noticed that people that are happy always have something to be happy about? Yeah. Have you noticed that when someone has an extremely healthy relationship with money, they always have a way to make more? Have you noticed that people who are very comfortable with how they look and how worthy and attractive, worthy in terms of looks they feel, have you ever noticed that those people always have people around them? So, if you choose to be a part of some subset of the revolution, one, you've already fucked up. Because that's not how this works. This is not about other people. It's about you. It's about not leaning on other people. It's about finding your own footing and being emotionally self-sufficient. Sure, you can like other people. Sure, you can be in contact with them. But when you start leaning on them, you got it wrong, dog. And once you start to lean, any one person in the group who feels like a bully is going to let you lean and then they'll tell you what to do. And the way they're going to do it is they're going to spread their vibe all over you. The whole point is to reset your vibe. Now, is there a way as RevFam to commiserate? Yes, of course there is. Look at RevFam Book Club. All they do is learn. They're not trying to get together and hang out. They're learning. Of course, what about the people that come to the satsangs? Same thing. They get together to learn. And you take that knowledge home. And you work on yourself. And you stand up on your own feet. And you learn to stand up for yourself. And then you stand up for other people. Boom. There you are. Back again at the fountain energy.
So anything that's going on outside of that, trust me when I tell you it's bad for you. And it has nothing to do with me. You can love me and my work insofar as it helps you. That's all I am. To make me more than that is a mistake. To make a group of people more important or more of a factor in your life than your own growth and development is a mistake. And that's why I'm always saying, ironic as it sounds, no fucking meetings, no groups. No meetings, no fucking group. It's all bullshit. Whenever people get together in fucking groups, the most heinous shit happens. Groupthink is fucking terrifying. So, no meetings, no groups, none of this shit. That has nothing to do with what we're actually trying to do. This is about you. This is about the self. This is about the way you feel inside and getting yourself right. And then going out there and doing the things to get other people right. All those people in those RevFam groups, most of you white people, why aren't you out there doing something for people of color? If you're going to get together in these groups, I'm assuming it's because you all feel better or you're feeling good enough to not do the work and instead hang out, trade stories, complain to each other. That wh- Why aren't you doing something then? Are y'all going to food banks and I don't know about it? Are you, are you donating? Are you, are you volunteering? What are y'all doing? You see what I'm saying? That shit breaks down pretty fast, doesn't it? Because it's bullshit. Because it's bullshit. You work on you for you. You don't need anybody to do that. You need knowledge. You need information. You need to learn. That's it. Not have your vibe fucked with by someone, anyone. I mean, that person could be all over the fucking place. That person could be a fucking mess. That person could be ill. You don't know. And now you're letting that person determine your vibe. So what you've done is you've completely moved away from the fountain. Right? And are now in this third space where you feel you're doing the right thing, but every day your vibe is getting infected. So, if you would like to continue to do that, do it. Again, do it. I Listen, man. I'm just over here fucking talking. Do it. Do exactly. This is always and will always be my motto in life. Do exactly what the fuck you want. Do exactly what the fuck you want. That applies to guys. That applies to people. That applies to friends. That applies to parents. That applies to siblings. Whatever you want, bro. Do whatever the fuck you want. 
And I, in turn, will do whatever the fuck I want. And what I want is to not be a part of any fucking group. No groups, no fucking meetings. You want to be friends? Be friends. Don't drag the revolution into it. And I'll say it one more time. Don't be offended. I'll say it one more time. The revolution is about you. Only you. You finding your way to the fountain and staying there. So your life, the way it was written for you, can unfold. Excuse me. And that you can leave this place. And go to a more evolved version of this because you are ready for it. This is about evolution. This is about progress. Your personal evolution. Your personal progress. And that's it. Anything more than that and you are weakening yourself. You know, you want to know why I don't like groups? Because I've never met anyone in a fucking group who isn't weak. Never. Never. Groups seem to attract weak people. You know what I love about being a Muslim? It's not because I was born into it. It's because there's no clergy. There's nothing. It's just you and a rug and a book. Bye. Listen, my kind of thing. I don't want to go to any meetings. I don't want to go to any groups. I don't want to have to deal with 20 other people who are fucking morons. No. No thanks. I'm good over here by myself. So I can think for myself and do what I want. If you need to be in a group of people to do what you want, you're, you're doing it that way because you don't have the guts to do it on your own. What do you need the group for? For what? For what? For support? There you go. There, again, there you go. That's what I'm saying. That's why I don't like groups. Because I don't need that support. Because for whatever reason, if I want to do something, I don't need anybody else to tell me that it's okay. If I want to do something, I'm going to fucking do it. And then everyone can think whatever the fuck they want. And if they don't like it, they can go fuck themselves. Who gives a fuck? I think that's who gives a fuck. I think is the, the one sentence that I've said in my life more than all other sentences combined. Because honestly, who gives a fuck what you think? And more importantly, who gives a fuck how you feel about what the fuck I'm doing over here? You know when you can have that kind of conviction? When you are in line with your purpose. I know what I am. I know what I'm doing. And I know I'm not doing anything wrong. So if I want to do this thing, I'm going to fucking do it. And you can go fuck yourself. But if you're not in line with your purpose, if you're not being honest, then of course you need a group of people around you to tell you it's all all right. And of course you're not going to take a step that they're not going to approve of. You see how dangerous and slippery that slope is? So now all of a sudden you're going to change the things you do depending on the approval or disapproval you're going to get. That's a group. No fucking thank you. And don't take it personally. Anyone those, that's in those groups, 
Don't take it personally. This is just what I feel and what I base the revolution on. That's it. That's why there's no fucking newsletter and there's no fucking email list and there's nothing like, no, no. This is exactly why. Because it's not about that. It's about you. It's a collective of people who are equal because they're not a fucking group. They're a revolution. Each one of them is having a revolution within themselves. And so when they come together, the fountain energy is so undeniable. When I tell you, Rev Fam Oakland, we were across the street from a gigantic fucking fountain. It was not planned. We just looked across the street with blunts in our hand and we're like, holy fucking shit. That. That's not a group. That's a revolution. That's an army. So. I hope I've made myself abundantly clear. And I'm going to leave it at that. Many different topics covered, perhaps not to the depth that you would like. I will go through each one in a separate pod if you like. But for now, that's it. I love you. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. It's your girl, DJ Nark. <laughs>